From the AM-FM 24-7 radio network, broadcasting from AM and FM stations around the country, welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur, because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Friday, the 24th of April, and I hope you are having a great day staying safe, and I hope your business is staying alive, that you have figured out a way, a path, some way to make it out of this quagmire, this living hell that we are in. We have a fantastic show for you today, and we really do appreciate you being with us. We're going to start off with something very interesting. I know nothing about the private investigative industry, the PI. The only thing I really know is Magnum PI and never hired one, never been pursued by one that I know of. But anyway, I'm excited today to welcome Martin Thomas to the show. He runs one of the largest PI agencies in the country, and I think you're going to enjoy he and some of the stories. After that, we're going to speak with the laughing billionaire, Eliyahu Yan, is with us. Great conversation. We have a lot of fun, and I think you will enjoy it. It is perfect for a Friday afternoon when we need a little relaxation, a little laughter, a little recovery from the this junk that we're going through. All right. I wanted before the show started today to give you a word of thought, maybe not wisdom, just a word of thought about the current situation that we are in and how to respond. So for those of you who do not know, our thesis here is very simple, that anyone can be an entrepreneur when you forget about creativity, risk, or passion. Now, I know that most of you would define entrepreneurship as creative people who take risks doing things they're passionate about, right? Uh, good enough, but I disagree with that definition entirely, right? Creativity is useless. 93% of business ideas are stolen from other businesses. There's no reason to go out and be unique, different. That's almost never happens. Facebook wasn't, isn't. So why should you try to be, right? Microsoft blatantly stolen from other people, right? So why are we trying to be unique and different? There's no reason. So that means just go copy, borrow, or steal someone else's idea. Now, of course, I'm being a tiny bit facetious. I don't want you to steal any copyrights, uh, trademarks, or patents, any intellectual property that's none of your business. But I do want you to go out there and find a model and simply copy it. And in today's world, that is the perfect solution. So many models work, but are going to go out of business simply because of the macro. The micro is just fine. Copy that business and just don't accumulate as much debt as they did, and you will be just fine. Risk. I hate risk, and risk is bad. Anything we can do to reduce risk, to ameliorate it, we are going to do. Other people's money, bootstrapping, pre-selling, anything we can do to reduce our risk, I am going to sign up for. So having said that, this is one of the least risky times in our lifetimes. And I know that sounds crazy. To start a business now, now is the perfect time. Think about it. 
Everything is going to be going bad. Tons of businesses are going to be failing. You're going to be picking up the slack from these failing businesses. The demand will be there. People still want stuff. I'm dying for not only a haircut to go out to dinner, but I need a new phone. I need a new computer. I need new shoes. I need new clothes. I got a lot of stuff I need. I'm going to buy. Someone's going to sell it to me. Be the person who sells it to me. In other words, go out there, find a model, copy it, and start executing it now. Your risk now is going to be small. I wouldn't spend much money to get started. As a matter of fact, I'd spend as little as possible, under $5,000. But if you can sell now, think how easy it will be to sell a year from now. Right? That is the idea, that now is the most difficult time to start and actually get a sale, which means now's the best time to start your business. If you can succeed now when things are going badly, you will do great when things pick up. And there's going to be so much failure out there. And I hate this. I hate to even think this, but it's true. There's going to be so many carcasses out there. There's going to be people that need stuff, goods and services, and can't find someone to supply it. I really do believe that now is going to be one of the best times ever to start a business. Get through this time, the next six months, from now until Christmas, and your business will continue to succeed. Now, if you have an existing business, the game is a little different. You're going to have to dig out of the hole, and if you can do that for the next six months, well, Godspeed to you. You will deserve all of the successes you uh, receive. And also passion. I love passion for my wife, for my kids, for church when I'm a good boy, right? I love passion. Passion, though, is not something that I reserve for my work. I like my work. I love everything else. I would rather be at Disney with my family than at work, which means that there are levels of passion, right? And work doesn't qualify that makes it easier. That means I can do anything that I like and still be happy. I don't have to love it. I like it. I am passionate about the lifestyle, the freedom, the opportunity to succeed, the opportunity to grow a business, the opportunity to be successful and do whatever I want, wear whatever I want, drive nowhere, not have a commute every day. Imagine how much time you would save if you dropped your 30-minute commute every day. Anyway, we got a great show for you today. Appreciate you being with us. And Godspeed to you in the weekend. We'll be right back. We are back. And yes, we really do appreciate you being with us. Very excited to introduce you to my first guest today. I think this is going to be fun. He's in an industry. I know absolutely nothing about. His name is Thomas Martin. He is a very decorated DEA agent, was also with, I guess, maybe at the same time, the U.S. Department of Justice. And there he was awarded several of their highest awards and worked in over 60 countries. And I'm sure he arrested a bunch of really bad guys that you've seen on NCIS. He also helped the FBI, the IRS, the Secret Service, and all of their tangential offices. And now, though, he is out there and he started his own company. He's become an entrepreneur, which we love. He is 
the world's are one of the top leading PI agents, private investigators, Martin Investigative Services. He has 22 agents that work with him. And today we're going to talk about not only that industry and stuff, but the changes that have happened, some interesting things have happened because of the coronavirus. Thomas, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Jim. Thanks for that great introduction. It's uh, really a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm excited. So everything we know about your industry, we learned from Magnum PI. So big mustaches, really great cars, never pay your bills, marginal business qualities. <laughs> How close to reality is it? <laughs> I, I wish I wish only get all the girls. <laughs> I wish even one or two of those is true. No mustache, no Ferrari. Uh, as I often say when people compare us, or link sexiest us to man Mag alive. Uh, yeah, sexiest man alive. And uh, uh, so we say to put it in perspective for your listeners, uh, Jim, it's more like Columbo than it is Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> well, Columbo got the girls too. So well, he got a couple. He was married, so he had to be very, very careful in his pursuit. But uh, we, I still watch Columbo uh, reruns, believe it or not. <laughs> What is so, it really it, like? Is it really a lot of computer work these days, just like everything else? Well, you would think that. Part of it is the uh, computer work. When I first started, I got hurt as an agent in 1981, so I've been at it almost 40 years. They, there was no such thing as the Internet or computers. But most private investigators are a little different than us because when I started, I didn't have any business. I was starving. I had two young kids. Um, and so I took anything I could get, and therefore the whole system ended up being uh, a full-service investigative agency. Most guys, you know, they, they do civil cases, criminal cases, surveillance, backgrounds. They specialize in, in, in one thing. Uh, the greatest part about the business and why uh, you know, a lot of people like to get in it, uh, why we help a lot of people to try to get in the, into the industry, is every day is something different. The only thing I really knew about today is that you were kind enough to invite me on your show. I knew at one o'clock I'm going to be on that show. Other than that, I didn't know what I was going to do before or after. That's because you're on stakeouts all day after bad guy. They well, might shoot at you, get kidnapped. Well, there was more shootouts in my first life. Uh, now you can put control in a trunk. <laughs> How often have you been put in the trunk? That's what I really need to know. Well, the closest I ever got to being put in the trunk, I was with a young agent one time. We were working undercover, and he got very excited because the, the bad guys brought the cocaine. And, and um, the bus signal in those days, and maybe even today is, is that you, you have a million dollars in a briefcase, and you have it in the trunk. So you open the trunk once, show the money to the bad guy, and then you shut the trunk down. Well, if you ever open the trunk a second time, then all hell breaks loose because that means they're trying to rip you off. Well, when we opened the trunk for the first time, he got so excited and nervous to shut it, he shut the trunk door or trunk lid on my hand. So, <laughs> and so, and the, and the two class one violators that we were buying the dope from looked at us and said, well, there's no way these guys are DEA agents. I mean, they didn't say yeah, it. Yeah, you're way too klutzy to be fed. These guys got to be the most uh, unorthodox <laughs> undercover agents. Talk about the bad news bears. We were it that day. <laughs> so anyway, they got arrested and I went off to the hospital to uh, get my hand soaked in ice and stitched up and everything. So that's the closest we got to the trunk. All right. So 
let me see if I get this right. You had your 30 years, 25, 20 years with the feds. And so you qualified for a pension. You decided to go out on your own and double dip. Uh, talk, am I right? Is all of this ringing a bell? Well, it, what happened was, is I spent 12 years, uh, you know, part of that undercover, part of that in international training, blah, blah, blah. So after 12 years, I got hurt and I had to retire. And then the government. Okay. I'm sorry government, about that. Well, yeah. Well, no, no problem. This, it's, uh, it's, it's all good. Uh, so the government, believe it or not, has to retrain you. And then they have to retrain you to make sure you make the same amount of money. Well, they wanted me to go to law school. They wanted me to go get my doctorate degree. And I, I said, no, no, I only know one thing in life. That's how to be a private investigator. I don't know if I'm a very good entrepreneur, but we'll find out because I waived all their helping me. If I fail, I fail. So that was a great incentive for me, Jim. I didn't know it at the time, but I'm thinking, why did I do that? Boy, I better make this thing go. So I was really hungry. I was really ready to, to, to make this, this a go. And uh you know, I, didn't, I, I got an office, you know, had an empty Rolodex, a phone that didn't ring and no business. And I sat there and read the paper every day for about a month. And, and finally, you know, just plugging along, got a couple cases and that led to something else. And, and to, to the point now where, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to be recognized as one of the better agencies in the United States. Okay. How'd you get the first customer then? Actually, the first customer I got uh, was from another private investigator uh, in another area, said that uh, he knew I wasn't busy. <laughs> I had a lot of time <laughs> on my hand. And I said, I'll try to, well, I've got to cut. I didn't. I was, you know, I said, great, I'll take the case. What is it? He said, well, the guy's already been convicted of raping his stepdaughter and doing a bunch of bad things to her. And I go, oh, man, I don't want to do a case like that. And he goes, yeah, well, the guy's got some money. I said, okay, so I talked to the guy, and in my brilliant analysis of the case, I told him, I'm not taking it because you're guilty. I read all the transcripts, and it's painfully obvious that you're, you're guilty. And he'd gone through a trial given 25 years to life, and, but he was insistent. I didn't have a lot going on. I took the case. The short version is, is I found out that uh, his stepdaughter and, and her mother made the story up to get all the assets in the marriage because they were getting a divorce. Uh, I found her diary and it said Greg had divergenized me on August 13th. If that was true, everything that she told the police was a lie. Uh, I found her boyfriend. He said she made it up. Um, I took all this and put it together like I was a federal agent in a case taken to the United States Attorney's Office. And I presented that to the court and to the district attorney in uh, Orange County. And they basically... They let the charges go. They did not even go back to a new trial. So he was a free man and, and uh, never had to serve a day in jail. That in itself would be one of the, a career case. That would be. Yeah, something. that's an amazing story. We make movies out of crap like that. I mean, that's actually, better than most actually, movies. You're 100% right. But there's more to the story, if you could believe it. What happened was when I was interviewing one of the, quote, victims, the stepdaughter's uh, friend, she told me, Mr. Martin, when we were in the district attorney's office, the district attorney who prosecuted your client had a picture of his wife behind his desk on a credenza. I go, well, that's not unusual. What's the big deal? He goes, well, I just wanted to let you know he was dating the 16-year-old girl. And I went, excuse oh. me? I went, excuse me? The district attorney, the lawyer for the county, is dating the victim 
uh, and he was the one that put my guy in, is going to put him in jail for 25 years? Yes. So I did what I only knew to be the right thing in the Department of Justice. They teach you to clean your own linen. So I took it all together. I took it over to the district attorney's office. I said, you got a problem here with one of your guys. You need to get rid of him and clean it up. I didn't hear anything for four weeks. So I decided that I would call a press conference. Well, nobody knew me from Adam. And nobody really showed up except one radio station, KFWB, and one girl. And I told them my little story. And the next day, it was in national headlines and all the papers. And they ended up firing the uh, attorney. He was disbarred. And uh, the rest is kind of history. So as they say in, the, in, in some of the business uh, circles, that uh, that was a great case to start. And we've gone downhill from there. <laughs> that's, a <pretty laughs> tough, that's a pretty tough case to start with to try to match up. So it was, it was a great start. Well, that's an amazing story. And yeah. it's heartwarming. You know, I guess because of television, we think of the industry as, you know, cheating wives and things like that and not actually going the other way and getting guilty or innocent people freed from uh, wrong convictions. So, Tom, talk to me about growing the business. You finally get successful enough that you can support yourself, right? It's time to add your next magnum, Palumbo. Who'd you go after, Kojak or Quincy? Who is next? Well, no, it was really talk weird. to me about getting number two, three, four. Talk to me about the growth. Okay. Well, it was really an easy, easy choice. I was very fortunate that I had spent part of my adult life in in being an agent that was asked to go back to the academies, which you'd know, like the FBI Academy, Justice, Treasury, the, the three-letter agencies where they train the guys. And I taught there. And that's supposedly, if you've done that after 10 years of being an agent, it's supposed to be some of the best agents in the country. So I knew a lot of the guys. So after about two years, three years, I needed help. So I went back to those guys in the Justice and Treasury who had taught other agents and said, hey, would you like to join me? So that was an easy uh, basket of fruit to pick from. And so I, I, to this day, 40 years later, when I need people, um, and I don't lose too many people because I, I, they're all world-class investigators, I go back to the, the DEA, the FBI, the IRS, or Secret Service pool of people, and I get my pick of the, the, the best of the best. So at one point in time, we had 46 investigators in and 2005, 2006, um, that were you know, working full time. So uh, a lot of tremendous investigators from that pool of people. So we're very fortunate. And what uh, what are the different buckets? So there's cheating spouses, you know, I've lost a million dollars and it's hidden in my aunt's closet, that bucket. So what are the different buckets of investigations? Okay, well, there's, a, there's, there's really four that, that, that kind of permeate all the private investigators, of which is 100,000 in the United States, believe it or not. So the top-notch guys' and primary focus is in corporate America for people stealing time, money, or product. Number two are lawyers, civil cases, criminal cases, probate, employment, whatever, whatever they specialize, they call us. We probably have 
1,500 to 2,000 lawyers across the country that use our services. Next is the insurance industry, where we're catching the bad guys, you know, hitting golf balls after they said they, you know, hurt their back, uh, investigating accidents, investigating you know, whatever claims that they submit to the insurance company. And then the last uh, pillar that we say of the four is the public, where we do some of the things that you've you've mentioned where we're doing, uh, you know, marital surveillances and we're doing background checks or we're doing locates uh, or we're doing something that the public needs. And so whatever area you're in, um, our business, there's no gray area. Either I get the guy off for murder or I don't. Either you catch the cheating spouse or you don't. Either you find the assets or you don't, or you do a complete background or you don't. So, Every day, we have to hit the ball out of the park, and, and one of the things that kind of overshadows everything is we do all our work product with the idea that one day it's going to be in front of a judge or a jury. So that's the motivating factor that tries to keep our work product as pristine as possible. So most people think we're, you know, peering around corners with a, a fedora and a, and a pipe, and, and, that's, and that represents only about 5 or 6% of our business. The marital stuff, but uh, it's there's a great need for it. We probably get 20 to 25 calls a week in the offices regarding marital surveillances. So a lot of people want that service. Uh, my wife and I have our iPhone set on follow each other, find my whatever, and so I know we're, we know where we each other are, and we're both too boring to cheat. So. <laughs> Well, I didn't want to tell your listeners, but we did follow you, and uh, we followed you to a church meeting, which I told your wife, so it was Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I went from there to the library. So, there you go. Uh -huh. There you go. And from there, I worked at the Covenant. Uh, the covenant. Uh, anyway, let's say. Uh, what percent of the accusations are, are true? So 100 people come in with 100 different things, all of the buckets. What, what percent of them actually turn out to be correct hunches? Well, the, the, the majority of the, of the cases that we get when you put a percentage on it be, are they spouses, are they guilty or not? Believe it or not, 97% of the people that we follow, we catch. The other 3%, we either lost them or they were having a bad day or they just didn't do what they're supposed to do. So it's pretty, pretty clear cut that when a woman and women's intuition feels that her husband's cheating, she's right. We just got to do our job and catch it. When it's a man and when in men, it's called a gut reaction. They're, 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 they're 100% right, too. When, when a male or a female or anybody picks up the phone and calls a private investigator, they got a problem. No question about it. Because that, that's kind of the last thing. And many of the, the females, their husbands tell them, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You're imagining things. And, uh, and they come to us for finality. And that's how they do it. Um, of course, everybody on the criminal side that comes to us, please help me. I didn't really do the murder. I was framed. I really didn't do the white collar crime. Uh, I really didn't. It, well, most all of them are guilty. And so we have to give them a defense. And sometimes it's pretty tough when you're sitting at a table and you know the guy did the murder. And you know he shot the guy in the alley and he shot him five times. And you, you work up your, your best evidence against the case. And the jury comes back and says to you, not guilty. That's kind of gut-wrenching for a former agent, to be honest with you. But I was taught early on by a, a very wise criminal attorney. He goes, look, don't take it personal. 
It's not, not your problem. We did our job. The district attorney didn't do his job. He didn't prosecute this case correctly. And that's why the guy's a free guy. So, and then, you know, we've, we've been on the other side where we've had many murder cases, over 500 where they're cold cases, and we go out and, you know, try to solve that and actually catch uh, the, the bad guys that did the murder. Those are great cases to work. Very time-consuming, and you got to be on your A-game and know what you're doing, but they're great cases. And we do, it's one of the things we're kind of known for is cold case murder cases. Interesting. So... Do you spend most of your time now managing the business? Are you? Now, I do. Yeah, I would suspect that you spend your time interviewing new employees, taking care of tax filings, and all the other boring stuff that us business people do. You're you're pretty pretty right on with that. But I I I, I have a rule that I learned when I became a, a supervisor in the government when I had like 35, 40 agents in my group. What I learned early on and what I try to do in this practice is stay out of my guys' way. Okay? They're all, they, they don't need me out there guiding them. They don't need me looking over their shoulders. And I just try to keep the engine going. My, my, my basic goal when I get up every morning is to make sure when those requests come in, which are many, many every day, sometimes 25 or 30 a day or two, 300 a week, to separate those out to ones where we can help the client, and then I take take out those cases and, and give them out. I don't have I don't spend much time with new employees because um, I I can't remember. Maybe the last employee was maybe four years ago when one of our guys retired. So our guys stay. So that part of business, which I think is is, is something that when you start up a business, hopefully that's a problem. Uh, but my guys and gals stay with me, you know, pretty much through thick and thin. So. What kind of marketing yeah. do you do now? Are you on the sides of buses or what? No, I haven't done that. I'm not, I, I heard your interview, I think, with uh, maybe it was Peter Economy, but I listened to a number of your, your interviews. And I, I, the lawyer, I forget his name, forgive me, but uh, yeah. Glass, Ben Glass. Glass Peter asked, yeah, it doesn't make you a bad guy if you're on the side of a bus, but I made a lot of mistakes and I think you have to, if that's okay to make the mistakes, but you got to learn by them. Like I spent, oh, I don't even want to tell you how much money I spent a month on Google because I thought that would be great. And I was number one on the list and you put in PI and boy, I was really impressed. Look at me at number one. And I'm going, well, how much money am I actually, what's the ROI, ROI on this stuff? And I'm, I'm going, I'm putting in like 10 grand a month and I'm getting back 10 grand a month. That's geez. I don't think that's a smart use of my money. So what we've done now, our marketing is more uh, SEO driven. Uh, we're trying to keep ourselves up in the search engine optimization of about 150 keywords. And we have done 450 blogs. That's a great tip if you're just starting out, you know, write a blog, bang it to your website. Uh, if you get, get a podcast, do a podcast, have that have that uh, you know put up on YouTube if it's a video if it's a, if it's transcribed put that on your your, your uh, website and that's a, has a great impact so I'm told as if anybody knows what Google and all their authorisms what they actually mean I don't think anybody in my office understands it but we're, we're we, we try that and that seems to be working so when you put in the keywords we pop up and of course that doesn't cost anything with Google now. Interesting. Interesting. No, no other ads really other than that, then we don't, I mean, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate to, 
I mean, in the old days, when I first started out, I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any anybody to look up to because there was really nobody in the business. And I started in Yellow Pages. So I used to take out uh, a half page in all the books in Southern California, which cost me in those days, you know, four, five, six thousand dollars. And that was great. I mean, it would just, you know, it was like a, uh, going to the bank and, and robbing it. Uh, but then, you know, the Yellow Pages kind of faded out. Yep. And that was the main advertising for plumbers, and, you know, private investigators and everything. And uh, now, uh, you know, with the change of the internet, I mean, around 1995 to 2000, I don't know what to advertise and everything seemed to be not so great. And then, uh, you know, you just, you just have to try. And I always say, test the wires a little bit, give it three to four months. Don't spend a fortune. If it doesn't work, pull out. Don't be afraid to, you know, uh, you know, fold your cards and go on to the next game. And I see a lot of guys, you know, they don't advertise, they don't have their name out there. And then I see the extreme where they, they get into it and uh, they, they, they don't stop it. You know, they, they advertise, you know, with the local golf course company. Well, why don't you just light cigars with the money? It'd be a better use of it. <laughs> uh, so, so it's, it's, it's interesting in, in um, every business will have its little niche in what they do. And, and, um, so with us, it, it has been now with SEO. That's that's our our, our main driven uh, main driving force for our advertising. Interesting, Thomas. Very fascinating business. I hope I never need your services, but if I ever do, you will be the guy that I call. Um, you know, I had a well, kid run away from home one time, and he could only get a half mile before he got picked up by the cops. So my, <laughs> well, my kids aren't good. smart enough to run away. My wife and I don't cheat and, uh, we don't have enough money to have any financial improprieties. So, uh, well, here's, here's the deal on that. They always say it's better to know me and not need me than to need me and not know me. So, there you go. There you go. So it's, it's, uh, well, it's great. It was fun and I enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, hopefully if your listeners uh, need anything, they can just uh, go to our free podcast listener page and uh, there's a lot of free stuff for them to pick up. What's the URL? Uh, just go to martinpi.com, M-A-R-T-I-N, P like private, I like investigator. And then they just uh, click on the page there. It says uh, podcast listeners. Uh, and there's all kinds of, there's free websites they can go to. We don't want your emails. We don't collect emails. Just go there and your my first book's on the line for free and a lot of good stuff about uh, divorces and 20 ways to know if your mate's cheating. It's, it's all on there at no charge, just free. Fantastic. Yep. Thomas Martin, thank you so very much. MartinPI.com. And we will be right back. have another contestant brave enough to play the quick 10 may i please introduce you to thomas martin he is one of the country's largest and private investigative companies he runs martinpi.com martin or i'm sorry tom are you ready to play the quick 10 i think i am my uh, therapist is standing by fire away all right have you been <laughs> drinking or consuming any drugs are you sober no. I am sober. Okay. 
Do you wish to, do you want to take a pause and go drink some before you play? It's more fun. I'll, I'll see what my score is before I end up in adult beverage. Okay. Do you want to make a wager? I will bet your red Ferrari uh, in a wager against your score. Would you like to play? We'll play. Okay, good. Number one, your favorite creativity hack. Uh, I was told once to take a long walk uh, to clear your head. And if you do that near water, it's fantastic. And it does work. Number two, favorite bootstrapping trick. Uh, be patient and uh, don't try to burn yourself out. Number three, name your top passions. That's an easy one. It's been the same five. It's family, faith, health, prayer, and work. Number four, the first Three steps in starting a business are clearly understand your client base and then try to be a solution to them. And finally, kind of balance your wisdom with your passion. Number five, the best way to find your first real customer is target your dream five clients and then do something for free to get yourself started. Number six, your dreamiest technology is? Uh, that would be Excel on steroids. Number seven, best entrepreneurial advice. I was told once, don't try to be perfect. And that was the best advice I ever got. Number eight, worst entrepreneurial mistake. Uh, to be fearless, the worst advice I ever got. Number nine, favorite entrepreneur and why? Uh, my favorite entrepreneur is Walt Disney. Uh, he was a farm boy who had, in my mind, uh, unparalleled vision and spirit. I love him. Number 10, favorite superhero. Uh, my favorite superhero is Ant-Man. I don't know who that is, so... Ant-Man is a Marvel comic that not too many okay. people know about. He ended up being an ant, but he just had a minor uh, thing to do, and that was to save the world. Oh, okay. Well, that's minor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, Thomas, I just got your score. Uh -oh. I am so sorry. You got a 96, so oh. you needed one more point, so I win the Ferrari. <laughs> I am sorry. Okay, it's not, it has no gas in it, but you're welcome to drive. Well, I'll fill it up as long as you pay for the rest of it. Thomas Martin, go. everybody, martinpi.com. Thanks for playing, Thomas. Thank you, sir. Good luck. Bye. And we'll be right back. We are back, and I am excited to introduce you to the author of perhaps the best titled book that I have ever seen. I just <laughs> love the title of this next book, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with Eliyahu Gian. He is an author, a life coach, and a spiritualist. He started at the age of 16 discovering his spiritual powers and his abilities that he was able to share with others. And that has turned into a life as a life coach, spiritual coach. And 
That has turned into a business as well called Vital Transformations. And the book that I'm excited to share with you, get ready for this, the greatest title ever, The Laughing Billionaire, How to Become Rich and Happy. Eliyahu, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun to be with you. Well, I'm excited to talk about this. So which part is the most important, the laughing or the billionaire? <laughs> It'd be really, ha- how do you know a sad billionaire? <laughs> well, the most important part is to be billionaire and laugh while you are a billionaire. Sometimes, you know, when you have the money, you're not laughing enough, you're not happy enough. Or when you are too happy, you don't think how to make money. So both sides are important, to my opinion. I would agree. I would agree. And... You know, it's just like health, you know, all of those things. If you're miserable, it doesn't matter how much money you have, right? You're still miserable. Exactly. 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 All right. I know that this is based on a lot of Kabbalah teachings. I don't want to give you the opportunity to, for someone like myself who doesn't really know Kabbalah, all I know about Kabbalah, I'll tell you everything I know is that Madonna practices Kabbalah. So give me the one minute version. I know that's ridiculous. Like, no, no, it's give me world it's history in one minute, Eliyahu. One minute. Okay, one minute. I mean, the, the concept of Kabbalah is basically to increase your desire. And once you increase your desire, you still have to be feeling happy, which is very difficult. Because when you increase your desire, you run an empty. When you run an empty, you become miserable. When you become miserable, you're not happy. So how can you be happy while you are increasing the level of expectation and desire? That's what Kabbalah is teaching you. Okay. Well, how? That's, that's a 30 second. It won't okay, be 30 yeah. Seconds. But they are. <laughs> but this is embodied in the book, right? The yes, advice you yes. give in the book will yes. actually help us understand the how, right? Yes, yes, yes. How to do it? I mean, basically, you know, when... When people come to use my advice uh, for business, so let's say I have a few people who are running a big account in Morgan Stanley. So when they come and talk to me and they tell me, Aliyah, you know, I want to increase the amount of money, and but I don't want to lose my mind and be miserable. That's why I call the book The Laughing Billionaire. And the idea, for example, if they're making half a million dollars a year and they want to make, let's say, double, they want to make one million. So I will say that the subconscious mind will have a difficult time with that. So we write two numbers. We write one number, we call it the doable. And the second number, we call it imaginable. The imaginable number is something that touches more your subconscious mind. And you got to keep it on the screen of your computer or on the wall. And in the, in the same time to work on what is doable. So let's say if you're making half a million dollars a year and you want to make 550, that's doable. Every business person will tell you from a skill point of view, from ability, from working harder, you can actually increase the amount of money if you work for yourself or for others to make more money. So you're putting the doable, the imaginable in the same time. The doable is what you've already been fulfilled with. So this is, this. you're not running on empty. You're getting excited to start the year and say, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing to make 550, 150, whatever your number is. Then, The imaginable is basically a number that you put out there that you just imagine that it might happen, but in the back of your mind, you have a lot of doubt if it ever happened. 
And the magic of that coaching that I give people happened to work. And I believe in the concept that the proof is in the pudding. Which means if the pudding tastes awful, that's when it doesn't work. And if the pudding is good, you keep eating, you keep doing it, and you keep making more money and you're becoming more happy. So you have to have two concepts in the same time. One is the doable, whatever you think you can make from a money point of view, from a happiness point of view. And the other number, when you say, wow, there is no way I can make one million, just put it there and say, I will not say no way. I will say it's my imaginable number. It's there. Your mind, your brain is a magical system that when you say it's imaginable, that means it's possible, but only from a miracle point of view. Then somehow the brain finds a way to go ahead and make it, draw the right people into your life, have the right meeting in more a magical way. I hope I'm not confusing everybody. Well, it opens up a lot of questions. Let's dive into some of the specifics in the book. Uh, a lot of these, I really, a lot of the chapters really interest me. And I want to pull out some in particular. Can we talk Please. about the power of certainty uh, well, in a world yes. where we have so much risk as entrepreneurs? I love the idea of certainty. Tell me about that. Okay. Certainty, from a certainty point of view, there is two levels. And the first level is for everybody. So certainty meaning you're not going to try to ride on a bicycle and you're not going to believe you're riding on a bicycle. So some people say, what time is it? They say, I believe it's five o'clock. You got to know, got to get from the believing into the knowing. You got to know that when you're touching something or doing something, you got to have absolute certainty that you're going to make it. That's a one level of certainty. If you have a little doubts, that crack, that opening of that doubt, unfortunately, will bring all kinds of negativity problems into your mind that will draw all the events that you shouldn't be drawing into your life. Again, this is the lower level of certainty. The highest level of certainty, it's not for everybody. I'm not inviting everybody to try the second one. The second one is whatever happened to me is the best thing that can ever happen to me. Now, this is a little bit spiritual, so it's not. Just for business people, it's for business people who want to apply a little bit more the spiritual part of the mind, of the brain. Meaning, let's say you invest money. Let's say you work for a big hedge fund and you invest a nice, nice amount of money. The boss is looking at you, you know, to take a risk, not to take a risk. If you take too much risk, something is off with you. If you don't take risk at all, you get fired because you don't make any money. So you have in-between things. So you've got to go for things in the second level of certainty when you say whatever happened, it's the best thing that need to happen. Meaning what? Meaning even if you get fired from this company, from that hedge fund, there is a better hedge fund waiting for you to hire you. You got to get to that level. But again, this level is for the pro. It's not for everybody. You need to have a coach like me or like others around you to make sure the culture that you're not just going crazy. Because some people will say, I believe that whatever happened to me is the best thing happened to me. Let's jump off the Empire State Building. Somebody opened the window and float 26. How are you doing? Say, so far, so good. So nothing good about it. So you have to be responsible when you're going for the second level of certainty. It's not for everybody. So I recommend the first level of certainty when you, whatever you touch, whatever you do, you got to believe, you got to know that you are the perfect for the best person for the job and that job is perfect for you and you're definitely going to do it. That level of certainty everybody can achieve and they should achieve. Do not touch things that you have doubts about because if you have doubts, 
why would you expect from a person who have doubts to have a great result? You know, as somebody who goes to swim in the Olympic, who have doubts if he's going to make it or not, why even being part of the Olympic? Don't be. You know, if you're already going for it, then go for it with full certainty. Why are you going with the word like, I will try, I will do my best. Don't. If you do your best or you try, you're already not making it. But if you're going there, say, absolutely, this three point that I'm trying to shoot will absolutely going in. That's one level of certainty. I hope I was clear about the second one, which is not for everybody. But if you have a question, I'm here to answer. No, I do understand that. And it makes sense. Claiming ownership. Now, talk to me about this. I didn't think that in America you were allowed to claim responsibility for your life anymore. I thought that that was illegal. <laughs> you, you try to be funny, right? Oh, yeah. I'm being facetious, of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to be funny. I am funny. I'm certain you're about funny. it. You're certain that you're funny. That's what I love about you, Jimmy. All right. So the idea is like that claiming ownership, meaning you, you're the boss. If you were somehow saying it's not my fault, that's when you're also not responsible to change your life. There is things in your life that you are pointing finger to the other person and say, it happened because him or her. That's when you cannot change it. When you claim ownership on everything, that's when also it's up to you to make a difference. Think about it. I mean, it's tremendous. It's a tremendous, simple revelation. When you say the reason we don't have money is because I didn't manage my money correctly, that's great news because now you know what's the problem. And because you know what the problem is, you can go ahead and fix it. But if you say, I have no idea what happened, or I think the reason it happened because of my mom, my father, my wife, my kids, my neighbor, my spiritual advisor, or whatever it is, then you can never change a thing. You can only change things that you absolutely take responsibility for. And the most painful thing to do in life is to really take responsibility for whatever is happening to your life, include especially the thing that you think has nothing to do with you. Specifically those things that you believe it's nothing to do with you. That is so true. And you know, I was being a little facetious at the beginning, but I do find that this is something that Americans have a lot of trouble with, uh, especially certain generations of Americans. Yes. So yes, yes, uh, yes. And and I have to say, I have to say something here. And I was traveling with one of the clients here from Malay who flew me with his private jet to um, Vail. So we're going and we're talking. And the conversation we had together was very interesting. I, I asked him as we're sitting, ask him, sir, <laughs> I said to him, so what's the secret of a billionaire person? What is the mind think like? I mean, ask all your friends and I want to have 10 billionaires give me the same answer. So they all gave me one answer. And the answer was so silly in the beginning. They say, assume nothing. I said, that's it? That's a billionaire brain? Assume nothing? That's all what you can tell me? And then they sit with me and they explain something very powerful. And they say, assume nothing can happen without, assume nothing can happen without you making it or without you getting involved. Think about it. I mean, we sometimes waited for a knock on the door for some good news or we waited for something to happen. Those people that think like billionaire or have a billionaire mind 
or billionaire who are trying to be happy or happy or trying to be billionaire. It's a mind that understands that it's up to you. If for a second you think your success, your life, your happiness depend on others, then you no longer claim ownership over yourself, over your life. That's when you're waiting for somebody else to, to basically take you somewhere that you don't even know where it's going to go. It's almost like have a beautiful wagon with beautiful horses, but the reins are not in your hand. Yes, the horses are beautiful, the wagon is beautiful, but who knows where it's going to end? It might end up in any other place that you're not controlling. Take control over your life by taking a full responsibility and understand it's only up to you to make a difference. Maybe I'm a Kabbalahist because I believe everything you just said. Everything you said <laughs> makes sense and is right. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kabbalah is just a method that I use to help people. It's not that I'm teaching all the business people Kabbalah. I'm using that method, which is 4,000 years old, but I'm not here to preach or to put spirituality on people because I don't believe that it's my place or any other person's place. You know, but we, I am using it in my teaching a lot because I believe that the inner personality of each person is built from something more than just physical. You know, we have a soul, we have a body, and the soul basically represents happiness, love, because money cannot buy you happiness. I mean, it can buy you things that make you happy, but is that happiness will last forever or last for five minutes? If you're looking for happiness that lasts a little bit longer, you need to add a bit spirituality, a bit kind of self-awareness into your mind. You need to add something. It cannot be just physical thing. We all know the feeling of buying a new house, new car, you know, getting to a new experience of something physical and beautiful. It lasts for a certain amount of time, but after, you know, two weeks, 10 days, five days for some people, that fulfillment disappears. We are looking for fulfillment that lasts. And for fulfillment that lasts, we need a bit understanding of the soul, a bit understanding of, of the inner self. And that's where I bring Kabbalah into my business session when I work with people. All right. We have time for one more. And I want to let everyone know that the book uh, has over a dozen chapters on issues like this on different important parts of your entire lifestyle. I want to go to the middle of the book now and talk about soulmates and you, the title that you give it is great. The gift of a soulmate. Uh, I have, I've had two marriages, Iliahu, and one, one that was not a gift and one that was a gift. So I know what you mean. Talk to us about that. (laughs) Well, normally it's funny. You should say it. It's, it's written in the old books from 2000 years ago when a, when a person is married to non-gift marriage or to non-gift soulmate, it's preparing that individual for the real soulmate. It's actually written 2,000 years ago. They wrote, when a person is married in a terrible marriage, he should look at that marriage as a cleansing for preparation for the next one. Now, soulmate, you know, relationship in spirituality and also in business is representing you. Because when you do business, you, you, you do it the best you can, but there is a lot of politics, there is a lot of drama, there is a lot of manipulation. When it's come to your marriage, this is looking yourself in, your, in the mirror to see what's going on, because the real reflection of who you really are only work in your marriage. When your marriage is working, that's when you're doing something correct. 
You cannot be happy just for being alone. And I'm sorry if I'm upsetting some people out there, but the purpose of the universe is not to be alone. It doesn't matter if you're married or not married, but you have to have a partner. You have to have somebody in your life that you share your life with, that you can truly share. And sharing is with no agenda. That you give love to, and they give you love. And when you receive the love from them, it's for the sake of sharing. Meaning what? Meaning that I'm receiving gift from you because I know how much pleasure is giving you. And when you get from me, you do the same. And we have interaction of love. And through the interaction of love, there is blessing. Because you cannot just be billionaire on your private jet and being lonely and miserable and problem. You, you want to have money, but you want to have love life. Love life is has to be the 70% of your life. The money become almost the gasoline, the, the oil that you fulfill into the car that call a love life. I hope I explained myself here. Uh, very well. And again, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think about sometimes these people that have 15, 20,000 square foot houses. And other than the people that they pay to be their friends, who yeah. stays there? You know, do they really have uh, that much love in their life? You know, it's always an interesting question. So true. Ilya, so how do we find out more? Get a copy of the book, follow you online, my friend. Well, The Laughing Billionaire, you can find it on Amazon as well. Um, also, my wife and me build a non-profit organization called vitaltransformation.org, not .com, .org. is a non-profit organization. It's a free site for people who want to study deep spirituality. You just go there. There is about 400 hours of lectures or free. All that you got to do is just go for it. If you want to look for me, it's eliaogian.com. And you can find me also on YouTube. You can find me on Google, on Amazon. All my lectures are out there. And uh, hope you enjoy and hope I can help you with your business and the growth of your income, but also to be happy as well. Fantastic. Eliyahu, thank you so much. Great conversation. Thank really you. enjoyed thank it. You, and I uh, hope you'll come back again soon. Amen. Thank you, Jim. We are out of time. Have a great weekend, everyone, and stay safe. Bye now. Care of